Welcome to church. Welcome. God has a word for you. Welcome those of you who are online. Thank you for watching. I pray that God just meets you right where you are at. You know, nothing is impossible for God. Do you believe that? Nothing is impossible. Think, just think about that for a little bit. Nothing is impossible for God. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them nothing is impossible for God. Do that. Do you really believe that? Okay, so here's the deal. If you really believe that, you should never worry about anything, right? You should never worry about anything because if you really believe God is the God of impossible, you have a peace, you have a confidence, you have a joy, you have a trust, a dependence on God. So just because you don't see how things will work out doesn't mean you have to worry about it because nothing is impossible for God. Sometimes I think we say things or we believe things, but we really don't live them out. And they're just cute phrases many times, but we really don't think about the ramifications of those, that phrase. But what if deep down in your bones... You utterly believed nothing is impossible for God. Uh, Lord, I, we just cry out to you, and I just pray, God, that you just move in a mighty way here. As we look at your word, God, speak to us through your word. Open our hearts and speak to the person who uh, is far from you, and speak to the person who considers themselves a Christian. Speak to the person who's grown up in the church and uh, who's heard many sermons, would you speak to that person in a surprising way? We just believe we're here providentially, uh, and you have a word for us. So anoint this message, God, and open up our hearts, and may you, Jesus, be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. I want to pray also for some tornado uh, victims, guys. Is that okay? Um, God, I want to pray for those who've been impacted by this tornado uh, across Kentucky and Tennessee and other places. Would you be with uh, the families who have uh, maybe even lost loved ones? Would you comfort them, give them peace? And uh, God, be with our country, our world, as we walk through this pandemic. And, and may we walk by faith, but help us, Lord, with our fears. And help us, Lord, as we have uh, friends or, or family that are maybe battling COVID. I pray for healing over their body even right now. And I pray that you use this for your glory in such a way that people turn to you, Jesus. May we be reminded how fragile our life really is and how short it really is, God. And may we walk by faith in this world, uh, trusting you. So Jesus, we cry out to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I can like keep praying over and over throughout this service, guys. I can do that. Well, Merry Christmas soon. Uh, I'm, incidentally, I'm super excited about our kids' Christmas program that's happening uh, this weekend. I'm very excited. I hope you plan on being a part of it. We have some amazing children's ministry volunteers that have been giving up their Sunday afternoons to, to help our kids learn their lines and sing parts. So while you were watching the Broncos, they were at church working with kids. And uh, so I want to encourage you to attend and be a part of it. That's a simple way you can support, uh, support what God is doing with our kids' ministry and appreciate them very much. Hey, so last weekend, uh, we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. 
And uh, I love that video that you just saw a little while ago. And I could only imagine the conversation between Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah goes home and says, guess what? I can't talk. And he's writing. He probably gets really good at writing. And, uh, and then he, he, tells her, he tells her you're to name him John. And, and he's going to be mute. Remember, we, he, God muted him for about nine months or so. So uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 is where we're going to start today. And we're going to look at this interaction now because there's this young woman named Mary that gets on the scene. So here's what I believe. I believe God has a word for you. I don't believe you're here by accident. I don't believe, uh, I don't believe that at all. I, I believe God has a word for you. The only thing that's keeping you from hearing God's word for your life is an open, humble heart. That's the only thing. All of us need a word from God. You know, I need a word from God. I need a word from God. And I had a, I had a good friend send me a, a message and just God just used that friend. And, and I believe God is always willing to speak. I think we just need to listen. I, I think we need to listen. Um, Luke chapter one, verse 26 is this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to, to where church to where? Nazareth. You guys are going to help me preach here. I'll preach better if you talk to me. A village in Galilee to a virgin named whom? To a virgin named Mary. That's right. Um, virgin named Mary. And, it, and then it says, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. There you go. A descendant of King David. So uh, you now, now the story is shifting from Zechariah and getting muted. And, and now the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah. And now the angel has another stop. You know, he has another, it's like DoorDash or something. He has another stop. This time he's going to this young virgin named Mary and shows up and has this conversation. And scripture says that she's living in this place called Nazareth. So in scripture, this is the first time in the Old Testament and the New Testament that the name Nazareth is mentioned. First time. Nazareth is like a suburb. It's really, it's not a metropolis place at all. In fact, it was about 15 miles away from the Sea of Galilee, and it's about six miles away from the closest major road. So maybe we would say that's, I don't know, Lock Bowie or something. I don't know, some place out where it's just like out. There's like nothing out there. You're six miles away from the closest major road. In fact, Nazareth had no good water supply only a fairly weak well in the center of the village. That's all Nazareth had. There was nothing exciting about Nazareth. It's not a place that you would want to retire at. It's not a place you'd want to live. It's not, I mean, there's no Starbucks there. There's nothing like that at all. In fact, Nathaniel said in John chapter one, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was Nazareth. And I love this fact because you see God, God is into this idea of using the people that other people overlook. He's into this idea of, of loving on someone that everyone else overlooks and doing miracles in places that nobody expects. The woman at the well. God, you know, Jesus uses the woman at the well. Nobody saw her as a great woman, but she becomes an incredible missionary all over Samaria. That's what God does. We don't think like that. We look, at, we, we look at the potential, and, and we look at the strengths, and we look at the market, and we do an analysis, whatever it is. But when God looks, he looks for the shepherd that's faithful and says, that's going to be my next king. 
God looks at Nazareth. That's that, that there's nothing around Nazareth. It's known for not being a great place. I mean, it's looked down upon. And God says, that's the place where I'm going to send the angel Gabriel. And you see Mary has this conversation with her. And I want you to hear this. God can do a miracle in your Nazareth. I think all of us has a, have a Nazareth. You know, maybe it's that person in your life that you think is just so far such a dark place. And maybe you've even stopped praying for them. God can do a miracle in your Nazareth. Maybe it represents your marriage or maybe it represents your future or a past or a decision you made and you're living out those consequences. Whatever it is, all of us have a Nazareth. And it's that place that other people have given up on. But you have a God who can do anything. He's the God of impossible. That's who he is. That's what he does. So um, Nazareth. Um, then scripture says she was engaged to be married. So this engagement is different from the way we think of engagement. Um, <clears throat> nowadays, you go on a honeymoon first before you get married, right? That seems like that's a popular thing. But during these Bible days, this is what would happen is when a, when a, when a boyfriend and girlfriend were engaged, it was like marriage. It was like they're taken Now, they wouldn't have sex, and they wouldn't live together. And in fact, she would wait for one full year. And at some point, around a year, the husband would show up unexpectedly, and they would officially live together and be married. But the fact that they're engaged, that was way more serious than when we talk about engagement, this kind of thing. It was like their husband and wife. They're, they're taken, they're committed to each other, and that's where they're at. And if you understand that, that's why it's such a big deal that Joseph finds out that his woman is pregnant. That's why it's a big deal. Uh, verse 28 says this, Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. Now, this is remarkable. You have to remember, it's been a, that's known as 400 years of silence where God did not give a word to Israel, right? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's about 400 years of silence where God didn't speak a word. And then he spoke to, through the angel Gabriel, he spoke to Zechariah. Now he's speaking to Mary. And incidentally, Mary, um, her name means exalted one. Isn't that beautiful? It means exalted one. And uh, he, he, he tells her, you have found favor with God. I thought about that a little bit. Think about that. What does it look like to find favor with God? Do you, find, do you have fav, the favor of God on your life? How do you know? How do you know? Is it because you get the best parking spot all the time or you get the green lights? I mean, how do you know you have the favor of God on your life? The scripture tells us there's some people that don't have the favor of God over their life. And there's other people that do have the favor of God over their life. Um, one scholar defined the favor of God like this. The favor of God is, demonst- is a demonstrated delight. Isn't that beautiful? Demonstrated delight. It's tangible evidence that a person has the approval of the Lord. Well, how do you get the approval of the Lord? You got to live by faith. You got to walk in obedience. 
you got to be faithful. Your faith has to have action. Your faith has to have action. You need to love others in a tangible way. You need to serve God in a way that he wants you to serve. All of us have different gifts that God has given us. You, you're, you need to have action to your faith. The words that come out of your mouth need to be good and pleasing and encouraging, beneficial for others. Your attitude needs to be, reflect the attitude of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And that should be our spiritual disposition every day. Do you have the favor of God on your life? The favor of God is something that I think all of us should desire. Here's the scary part. Some of us may not desire the favor of God over our life. Or you may be, you may be satisfied with just good luck over your life. Good things. And maybe you think, well, I make up my, my own luck, and I work hard, and that's enough for me. I want you to know there's another level. <laughs> there's another realm, and it involves the favor of God over your life. Don't you want to be involved with whatever God is doing? Don't you want to be involved with what, where God's moving? That's where you want to be involved. That's, that's the life God has for you. I love Second Chronicles. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So it's like God's just searching. You know, he's moving around and he's looking, he's looking. Is there anyone who has a heart that's fully committed to me? That's what God does. He's just looking and saying, is there anyone who loves me? Is there anyone who's seeking my will? Is there anyone who, and that's the heart of God. And he's looking over all of humanity wondering, is there one righteous person? Is there one person? See, God looks for hearts that are committed to him. And then verse 31, the angel tells Mary this, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him, who, church? Jesus. So Mary has the favor of God and the angel tells her, you have the favor of God, which is really interesting because I don't know if she knew she had the favor of God, but by the way she was living, she has the favor of God. Now the angel tells her, you're going to have a child and his name is going to be what church? Jesus. Now, there's no other name like the name of Jesus. His name means this, Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. That's what the name of Jesus means. It's transliterated from Hebrew and Aramaic, the name which, which is Yeshua, Yeshua. And the word Yah is an abbreviation for, for Yasha, where rescue or deliver or save. And, and, and the English word for Yeshua is Joshua, which means Yahweh saves or the Lord is salvation. So Jesus, his name literally means the Lord is salvation. He is the one that delivers. He is the one who rescues. He is the one who redeems. That is his name. That is who he is. So if you're in trouble, you can cry out to Jesus. There's no more powerful name than the name of Jesus. Let's just try it out. Just cry out to Jesus right now. Cry out, say, say Jesus. Now I know you guys, some of you have way more passion 
than what that right there. When, when you don't get your way or you get upset, do you get louder than what you just said right now? You have the ability, you have it in you, I know you do, because you get excited about things that excite you, and you, you become passionate about things that maybe bother you, right? And you have no problem yelling, and I want you to say it with that kind of passion. What's his name, church? Jesus. Oh, see, you hear the difference right there? You know it. You know, Jesus is way more exciting than, than anything else. He's way more exciting. Let's try it again. What's his name, church? What's his name? Jesus. Oh, man. Beautiful. Then think about that. There is no name more powerful that you can cry out to than the name of Jesus. When you're in a situation... And you cry out to Jesus. When we went to uh, Joplin, Missouri, and we helped out tornado victims, we did the same thing in Moore, Oklahoma, and we, we took a semi-truck and loved on them with furniture and appliances. I can't tell you how many times people told us before the tornado came, they just cried out to Jesus. I can't tell you how many times people said, we hunkered down in our bathtub, or we hunkered down in a closet, and we cried out to Jesus, and Jesus took care of us. I just remember this one gal saying she cried out to Jesus, and literally she felt the tornado pulling towards her, pulling her out of her closet, and she cried out to Jesus, and all of a sudden the tornado left her alone. There's no other name more powerful than the name of Jesus. You can cry out to him in your bedroom, in your car, at the office, in the elevator, wherever you're at. It doesn't matter where you are at. You can cry out to the name of Jesus. Isn't it exciting that you could be at a place where others can't visit you and you can cry out to Jesus and he can visit you right where you're at? Isn't that good? We have a God who will reach us wherever we're at. Verse 32 says, he will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. I, I, I get the picture sometimes. Like, I don't know if Mary fully grasped everything that was said to her right here. Kingdom will never end. And keep in mind, the Israelites during these days, they're looking for a new king to deliver them from Rome, right? They're looking for a king to, they're looking for David 2.0. And, and now, now this angel Gabriel is telling her, no, 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 this, this is going to be different. This is going to be for all of humanity. In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. How? How can this happen? She doesn't understand. Now, this is important to know because she's not, she's not really asking the question like Zechariah was asking. Zechariah doubted God, and God muted Zechariah. Mary believes in her heart that anything is possible with God, and her question is just, how? How? And then she says, I'm a virgin, I haven't had sex with anyone. How can I be pregnant? How is this going to happen? So the angel does not rebuke Mary like Zechariah at all. Incidentally, did you know 73% of adults say they believe Jesus was born of a virgin? Are you surprised? How many of you, uh, raise your hand, how many of you believe that, that Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus? Just raise your hand, I'm just curious. If you're online, you can just say, I believe, and type that out in the chat room. Yeah, here's what's puzzling to me. I think about that quote, and I think 73%, and I, I don't know what the sample size was, but it's, it was very significant. But if that is true, think about this, 73% believe 
that Mary was a virgin when Jesus, you know, was in her. And, 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 and if you really believe that, I mean, just think about this for a little bit. I mean, what does it mean? <laughs> um, what does it mean to you? I mean, shouldn't there be like 73% of Christians in our world? I mean, if 73% believe Jesus was born of a virgin, well, Think about the ramifications of that. And I want to say this. We have the capacity to believe something and not consider the ramifications of what we believe. We, we have the capacity to say, yep, I believe that. But we live our life in such a way as if it doesn't even matter or it's not relevant or it's not applicable in our life. But if, if, if there's 73%, then here's what I think. I think on Sunday mornings, the streets all over Denver should be packed because so many people are going to church, right? I mean, if, if 73% really believe that, and if you look at scripture and you think, okay, well, if that's true, then this must be true. And if this is true, then this must be true. And if this is true, then this must, I mean, if you just follow that line, you will lead to this, find this, to this place where you recognize, you know what? Jesus is Lord. He's God's gift to humanity. He's the son of God. And he's coming back one day. And we need to make sure our lamps are burning. We need to make sure we're right with God today. We need to live a life of obedience and faithfulness because we're not going to live forever. And if that is true, if you really believe that, if you really believe that, then your life should be distinct. I think Mary had a different type of belief. I don't think she was surprised the first time she felt baby Jesus kick inside of her tummy. I don't think she was too surprised. I think she just had that kind of faith and she had this encounter with the angel and she believed. And it's really interesting because the, the angel answers when she says, how will this happen? And, and, and the angel gives Mary a spiritual answer. And here's the spiritual answer. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Say that with me, will come upon you. And the power of the most high will overshadow. Say overshadow with me. Overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the son of God. He will be called the son of God. Not he will be the son of God. He will be called the son of God. So how's this going to happen? Here's how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and that's how you're going to get pregnant. Boy, I'm, glad, I'm sure glad the angel answered that question, right? Doesn't that all make sense now? Sometimes God just gives us the answers, and you're like, okay, I'm not sure you understood the question. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen. And I looked in Scripture for this word overshadowed really, really intrigued me, and, and, and it means to cover with a cloud. That's what overshadow means, to cover with a a cloud. It's the glory or the Shekinah glory. And you read about it in Exodus chapter 24, verse 16 says, and the glory of the Lord settled down on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. It's the same word. In the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus appeared with other prophets, you read it, verse seven says this, Mark chapter nine, then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly, dearly loved son. Listen to him. Isn't that amazing? Think about the power 
of the Holy Spirit, the power of the presence of God. It's like wherever the presence of God goes, it brings life and transformation. The cloud overshadowed, and the angel Gabriel is saying, the power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit, will overshadow this woman. And just because of the Holy Spirit hovering over this woman, Mary, just like, bam, she's pregnant right there. Just like that. Just like that, she's pregnant. Verse 36, verse 36 says, what's more, the angel's not done. He says, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren. Now think about that a little bit. You know, our world is full of haters, isn't it? I mean, there's always going to be someone who's going to try to bring you down. There's always going to be someone who's going to throw rocks. There's always going to be someone who's going to tell you why it can't be done. There's always going to be someone. But don't let them determine your joy. Don't let them determine your faith in God. Don't let them determine your hope. Don't let them determine God's purpose for your life. And God's aware that people have been talking about Elizabeth. And they've come to their own conclusions. That might be a shock. Did you know other people have, they might have conclusions about you and just because they have a conclusion doesn't mean they're right? And they said, Elizabeth, you're barren. You're never meant to have a baby, but they don't know the will of God. And sometimes we can be passionate about something and be wrong. And they're calling her out saying, you don't know the will of God. You know, you're you're barren. And you keep reading and it says, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. In verse 37, here it goes. This is what the angel tells Mary. For the Lord, excuse me, for the word of God will never fail. Let's read that out loud together, guys. For the word of God. Think about that. I mean, that's powerful. The word of God will never fail. How do you feel when people break their promises with you? Even little ones. They tell you they're going to take you somewhere and then they change their mind or tell you they need to get something for you and they change their mind or make promises to you and you're like, well, I know you made a promise and now what are you doing? The word of God will never fail. Glory to God. This verse is, I'm emotionally attached to verse 37. I'm just telling you right now. Uh, in the, another version, the NASB, it says it like this. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now you think about that a little bit. Where Mary's at, she's not pregnant. Elizabeth, the one who's been harassed and told that she's barren for her whole life, if she finds out, oh, she's pregnant, she's in her sixth month now, and, 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 the, and Jesus, I mean, the Lord is, uh, the angel Gabriel is telling Mary, look, you're about to go through some things, and you just need to know up front that nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. And, and uh, I, this word nothing literally means no word. No word. Let me tell you why this is so important to me, because I'm going to give you a picture of my Bible. Um, this verse right here, God gave it to me on July 12, 2012. There's my writing. Do you see that little arrow there pointing to it? July, July, actually, it's July 13, excuse me. July 13, 2012 is when he gave that word to me. I didn't know what it meant. 
Sometimes God gives us a word and we don't fully know why he's giving us that word. You hear that? Sometimes God prepares us. And he gives us a word, and you may not know fully what that word is about. I can give you other words in Scripture where God spoke to me, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll receive this word. I I hear you talking to me. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know you're preparing me. You know what happened the next day after God gave me this word? This was July 13, 2012. The next day, the next day, I met with Westgate School. We were at Auto Troll Building. That was Westgate School right now on on Washington, and we were there. The very next day after God gave me this word, I met with the new ownership of that auto trail building, which was Westgate School. We had been in that building for nine years, nine years, and I met with them, and they told us we need to leave. Total surprise. You ever been evicted? Total shock. Didn't expect it. How many of you remember that? Raise your hand if you were there during that time. We had the biggest garage sale in history during that day. And we were were out literally within two weeks. But before I even talked to the school principal, before I knew what they were going to say, God tells me, nothing will be impossible with God. You know what he's saying? He said, Reuben, nothing's impossible with me. Don't, Don't worry. And sometimes God gives us words like that. And, and, and let me just tell you how this went down. Um, three weeks later, we move out of Autotrol, then we move into this uh, other place called the Cottonwood Lake Building, and it was a smaller building. We went from about 21,000 square feet to probably around 5,000 square feet, and we, we felt like we were being like in detention or something. It was like we were being punished. Like, wow, we went from a really big space to a small space, and I kept thinking about this word, nothing will be impossible for God. I held on to that word. That's what you need to do. You need to hold on to that word God gives you. You hold on to it. And for the next seven years, for the next seven years, we became a portable church. And it was hard because when, when we got evicted from that building, we were starting another campus church called Thorn Creek East Campus. It's funny how we make plans, isn't it? So when mom and dad get evicted, we have to find a place. And we tell the East Campus, we got to put the brakes on the East Campus. We've got to hit pause right now. And we need the building that you were going to go to because we don't have anywhere else to go. And you could imagine there were some people that weren't real happy about that because they were excited about East Campus. And we said, well, mom and dad need a place to live. So we need to, we need to do this. We'll do this down the road. And all those times, when, even when people are unhappy and not satisfied and dissatisfied, I held on to this word. Nothing is impossible for God. And I knew God was going to carry me through that. And that's enough. If you know God is with you and he'll carry you through it, you have nothing to worry about, nothing to fear. You just trust God and you hold on. So for the next seven years, we meet in a school. We're setting up and tearing down. I mean, imagine that. I mean, a lot of you have been part of that. Setting up and tearing down. Every Saturday afternoon, setting up. Every Sunday after church, tearing down. Saturday afternoon, back up the trailer, pull out all the chairs or pull out all the tables, pull out all the sound equipment, pull out the podium, pull out everything. We got to set up all the chairs now. We got to run cables. We got to hook up speakers. We got to set up lights or whatever it is. Seven years. That's hard. There's some people that uh, um, that's not their idea of church. You know that. 
Some people, their idea of church is showing up and sitting down and leaving. That's their idea of being a Christian. So showing up, sitting down, feed me, and then I'm gone. And there's other Christians that are like, you know what? This is the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do, and I'm going to persevere. It takes a special person. But during those seven years, you know what happened? You know what happened? Food for Hope was started during those seven years while we were portable. We started this program called Food for Hope that is now growing super strong and feeds about 1,500 people every week. It was started while we were portable. We sold that Cottonwood Lakes building while we were portable, and we just really you know, committed ourselves to, to the future. Sold that building and continued to go to that, that school. And, but with, the, with that money from that building, we were able to pay off some debt, and we were able to buy 15 acres of land on Washington Street right behind Cabela's. It was while we were portable. For nothing is impossible for God. You see the way God works? And then all of a sudden, we assessed our situation and, and determined the best thing for us to do so that we can spend more money on loving people is to sell the land. So we decided to put it up for sale. And today, we're under contract for $5.1 million. Own that property free and clear. Let me give you something else. Let me give you something else. For nothing is impossible for God. Let me give you something else. Just as of December 7, that's just a few days ago. As of December 7th, the due diligence period ended. That's basically, they gave us earnest money. The, 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 the company that's, that's buying our land, they give us earnest money. So officially, Thorn Creek Church now has, their due diligence ended. Now we have, we're $100,000 richer, so to speak, because that earnest money is now belonging to Thorn Creek Church, December 7th. Glory to God. That's a big deal, guys. That means if they back out, we keep the money. That's what that means. So in other words, we're looking really good, and it looks like in July we'll be closing. In July. For nothing is impossible with God. And God gave me that word before I even met anyone and said, Reuben, you hold on to that. You're going to have people that are going to walk away, but you hold on to that. You're going to have people that, that, that don't have the stomach to walk by faith, but you hold on to that promise. You're going to have people that say things about you, but you hold on to that promise. It's going to be hard and inconvenient, and you're going to sweat, and you're going to have to, it's going to all those things, but you hold on to that promise. There's going to be a lot of change, and people don't like change, but you hold on to that promise. But there's, this is what the Lord told me, there's going to be a remnant that's going to stay. Hallelujah. This is so good. <laughs> There's going to be a remnant that's going to stay. That's what the Lord told me. And he said that remnant is going to experience the hand of God. And they're going to have a perspective of the faithfulness of God like nobody else. And God's going to use that remnant. Yeah, you can put your hands together, guys. I'm so excited. <laughs> for nothing is impossible for God. Hear this. God will always prepare your heart for what's about to come. That's what he wants to do. He knows what's about to come. Here's your, 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 uh, the caveat to this, is you have to make sure your heart is clean. You hear that? You have to make sure your heart doesn't have bitterness in it, doesn't have lust or anger, 
rage, unforgiveness, any of those things. Let me tell you why. Because if any of those, those sins live in your heart and you see everything with eyes of anger or resentment or unforgiveness or jealousy or whatever those things, the way you see things, you will interpret the will of God based on what you see. But if what you have in your heart is unclean, if what you have in your heart isn't right, you will convince yourself that God's will is something when it really isn't because you need to first make sure your heart is right with God. You need to see with clear eyes. Does that make sense? You need to see with clear eyes. So you need to manage your heart. Guard your heart above all else because everything flows from it. Guard your heart above all else because everything flows from it. And we are such self-centered creatures, even Christians. We can manipulate God's word to say something that it's not. We can manipulate God's voice to say something that it's not. We may have a feeling about something. It may not be God telling us it's just bad pizza or something. It's just a feeling we have. So you need to make sure your heart is clean and clear. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Isn't that beautiful? I love this word. She says servant. It means doula. It means slave. See, Mary saw herself as a slave for Christ. There's a really famous missionary that much of the New Testament is written about, and he called himself a slave too. You know what his name was? Paul. Paul. A slave says, I have no rights except whatever you want, Lord. Use me any way you want, God. Think about that for a little bit. Someone who's a slave to Christ says, use me any way you want. It doesn't have to be any way that I want, I want your will, God. Use me any way you want. I'm willing to walk across the street. I'm willing to do whatever you want. Use me any way you want. Remember, Mary found the favor of God. Isn't that beautiful? And the favor of God was over her life. Don't you want the favor of God over your life? The favor of God where you recognize God is moving before anyone else? Where you recognize God's plan before anyone else? When you're at that right place where you see God doing a miracle and you were there, you have a front row seat to what God is doing. Don't you want a front row seat to what God is doing? A front row seat? A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. And look at this. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Just like that, like bam, just like that. Mary shows up and the child and Elizabeth, that's John the Baptist, hears the voice of Mary. And immediately the Holy Spirit goes into John the Baptist who's still in the tummy of Elizabeth. Just that quick. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. 
then she says this, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. I think there's another message behind this verse. I mean, Elizabeth is telling Mary, you're blessed because why? Because you believed, right? Why is that on the top of Elizabeth's mind? Well, you've got to remember who she's living with, who she goes to bed with, who she wakes up with, who she has lunch with. It's a mute man, right? She's not having any conversation with this guy. He has to write everything down. And she knows the reason why he's muted is because he didn't believe. You see that? I mean, she knows, I mean, like, like, like God is speaking to Elizabeth. He's speaking to Elizabeth through Zechariah about how important it is to have faith, to believe. So when Mary shows up, Elizabeth says, oh, you are blessed because you believed. Not like you. he didn't believe. He didn't believe. But you believed. I got to be careful. He can hear us. He just can't talk. And that's so beautiful. It's beautiful. And you look at this passage. It's so beautiful. The rest of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56 beautiful. Mary responds, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. This is Mary. This is her song. And incidentally, this song is very similar to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. Very similar. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Glory to God. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princesses from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. And verse 56 says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her home. Beautiful. <clears throat> Do you believe anything is possible with God? How do we believe that? How does that impact your life? Don't worry. Trust God. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't worry. Focus on your relationship with God today. That is the most productive thing you can do every day. Read the Bible every day. Let this be your first inbox. Let this be your first social media visit, whatever it is. And God will prepare you for what's to come. You will learn to hear the voice of God. And he will prepare you for things that haven't happened yet. But he wants all of your heart first. He wants all of you first. I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're watching online right now, and, and maybe this is for you. But if you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is an opportunity for you to do that. If you think, no, no, thank you. I just would ask the question that I ask all the time. Um, if not now, when? 
When, when are you going to wrestle with that question? When's a good time for you? When's a good time for you? Or maybe you consider yourself a Christian. And maybe we just need to have more of a heart of Mary. She saw herself as a slave for Christ. She found the favor of the Lord. And maybe you want the favor of God over your life. It's a whole different, whole different experience. Maybe that's what God is calling you to. But I want to encourage you to turn to the Lord with all of your heart. Let me pray with you. Um, if you're ready to receive Jesus, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I turn to you. Take all of me. Right now, as best as I know how, I want to become a Christian. I want to live for you. So teach me how to walk with you and put your Holy Spirit inside of me. And others of you, maybe you need to say this prayer. Um, God, I want your favor. I want your favor, God. I pray to live my life in such a way that pleases you, God. I want to live my life in a way that pleases you. May I be the delight of your eyes. May my faithfulness and obedience, may my attitude, my words be pleasing to you. And give me a word, God. Prepare my heart for things to come. Give me a word. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. And I'm so grateful that you went to Nazareth. I'm so grateful, God, because that says so much about you, God. Would you invade our Nazareth right now? Whatever it is. That situation, would you just do a miracle in our Nazareth? Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.